Good morning. You're listening to 88.7 FM Radio Hofstra University, broadcasting live from the Richard Philip Cavallero studio. And that was Sweetness by Jimmy Eat World. Welcome to the Thursday edition of Hofstra's Morning Wake Up Call, where we're talking Long Island life, national news, and international issues. I'm Alexa Servo, joined by Danny DiCrescenzo and Dallas Jackson. Today we will be discussing airline mask mandates, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard lawsuit trial, and a new app, Be Real. So I guess good morning. This is wow. so good weird. Morning. Wow, the intro sounds different today. <laughs> the intro sounds a little weird today. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Uh, yeah, ten I, out of ten. I tried. Thanks, you did Danny. A great job. I tried. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, starting off your morning right with the intro. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad I did a good job. I was very scared. Proud of you. Period. Yeah. Anyways. Good. Good work. Good Thanks. work. Thanks. But um, we're gonna go right in. <laughs> go right in. Go right in. Uh, Dallas, what's our top story today? So our top story today is about recent changes for people who are uh, looking to travel as TSA is no longer enforcing mask mandates on on flights. So as of Monday, several U.S. airlines announced that masks are now optional on their aircrafts after U.S. District Judge Catherine Kimball Mazel struck down the Biden administration's transportation mask mandate. Judge Mazel stated that the mandate was unlawful because it exceeded the statutory authority of the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention and because its implementation violated administrative law. This ruling sparked, appeared to spark sudden chaos as several airlines and travel authorities quickly made the announcement that afternoon. Flyers across the U.S. were confronted with the news mid-flight. Twitter erupted in a flood of videos, photos, and accounts of passengers retelling the announcement being broadcast over intercoms at altitudes of 30,000 feet. Videos have gone viral of cheering passengers scrambling to remove their facial coverings, but not all passengers accepted this as good news. Actress Brooke Tanzel tweeted that aboard a Delta flight with her two young children, the pilot himself made the announcement. Both her children are ineligible to receive the vaccine as her, own, as her youngest child is only eight, eight months old. Tanzel expressed feeling betrayed by Delta as she, quote, boarded this flight under the supposition that everyone who can be masked would be masked and felt as though the flight crew took their choices away from them. Since she was put in a position where she could not make a travel choice that fit her family's vaccination status and risk comfort levels. Along with Delta, American Airlines, United, Southwest, Alaska, Spirit, and JetBlue have all announced their their mask optional policies. The CDC still recommends that people continue to wear masks, especially with the long duration and close proximity of air travel. And as summer is coming up, so is travel. Travel is also expecting to increase. And I just wanted to get you guys' thoughts on this new development. Um, okay. Well, I feel like if I was on any flight, like, at all on Monday when that happened, I would be very, very nervous. And I would feel extremely trapped. Like, I'm, I'm all for the mask mandate being lifted on the ground where there's, you know, I could go outside and I can get fresh air. I could open a window. I feel like the air is circulating a little bit. So it's, like, not as scary, like, the the possibility of catching some even if it's not covid just getting sick in general but when you're on an airplane and the air that you're breathing for however long your flight is like i know from here let's just say to florida for example because that's the last place i went on a plane for two and a half hours you're sitting in an aircraft with like recycled air almost Mm -hmm. like you're not getting you can't open a window for fresh air so if you're gonna get sick it's gonna gonna be be on an an airplane. airplane yeah jinx (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I I think the fact that they did it mid-flight with no warning. Mm-hmm. I mean, how eager is everyone to take off their mask, especially the airlines? That's what I'm concerned about. I mean, at least maintain the policy until you land, yeah. right? They they should have at least asked, like maybe said over 
Mm, or, or here's an idea. Don't do it at all. I, yeah. I completely <laughs> agree with Danny. Like, as someone who has general anxiety when it comes to flying, I've recently, since I've come to college, started flying, like, flying by myself more. I could not imagine being alone on a plane. Then mid-flight, my pilot's like, hey, y'all, so by the way, if you want to take your mask off, you can. That's cool. But, like, if I'm in the middle of a flight and I just start seeing everyone around me just start taking their mask off, I don't know these people. These are strangers. Yeah. I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know where they're going. I don't know how recently they might have been in contact with someone who had COVID. I don't know anything about that. Yeah, and so I know a like, lot of people who would not fly, like, if the mask mandates were mm-hmm. lifted to begin with. Like, they they would figure out other ways of travel if they wanted mm-hmm. to do, like, a road trip or however however they wanted to go about it. So if you're one of those people and you're on the plane when they say they can lift the mask mandate, you're kind of, like, betrayed almost because you only made that decision to get on the plane because you felt safe with the mask mandate. Mm-hmm in the air and then they take it from you mid-flight and you have nowhere to go yeah as a cons- technically you're a you're a rider you're a patron right as a consumer you basically sign the agreement with the airline i'm going to fly on your airline and i understand the rules and procedures that are involved with flying but then the airline breaches those procedures and gets rid of one as you're basically getting the service you paid for mm-hmm. which is flying i know it's weird to think of it like that but that's the dynamic between an air, airplane passenger and the airline. So you your agreement was breached. Whether you agree with the mandate being lifted or you want to take your mask off or not, you signed up for something and you didn't get what you signed up for, what you paid for. It's like a quick, like sudden whiplash change. And I can't imagine like as a cu- essentially a customer of the flight, I can't imagine I would be happy with the way that was handled, especially like the concept of just announcing a mid-flight just sounds like a poor, like poor business planning and be like, just rude and inconsiderate of other people like you again the airline's supposed to be taking care of its passengers and being concerned about like their health and safety imagine having like a bunch of immunocompromised people on the plane mm-hmm. and like being like hey if if you're you don't have to wear your mask anymore and then all the immunocompromised people are like what about like yeah, what about us what about, what about us? our safety yeah and <clears throat> it's just it really strikes me as callous as almost insincere as if mm-hmm. the mandate was on a knife edge begin from the beginning and i want to talk about this judge that made this rule that's true Catherine kimball mazell was surprise surprise a trump appointee and she's also the youngest person ever appointed for life to a district court at just 33 so is she a millennial i think so i, I think, think she's technically a that's she like looks her. young yeah yeah she's only 33 she's not that much older than us mm-hmm. that's kind of scary put it into perspective i put it into perspective <laughs> but the, the whole point of the ruling, first of all, it's crazy that some 33-year-old woman has the ar- has the arbitrative power to just erase mm-hmm. the mask man down transportation. That's kind of crazy to me. But also, she actually, according to this NPR article I read, the inter- in her interpretation of the word sanitation was the crux of this ruling. She essentially narrowed the term, from what I can understand at least, to, to relation to how the government can mitigate the spread of disease. So... You know, in, in law, there are measures that the government, the federal government can take to mitigate disease that are listed out in the law. But she withheld them from sanitation. She looked at sanitation as not including that. And in this article, Aaron Fuse Brown of Georgetown Law was particularly critical of that interpretation, saying, quote, it reads like someone who had decided the case and then tried to dress it up as legal reasoning without actually doing the legal reasoning. And at this point in the pandemic's life in the United States, let's face it, it, the mask mandate going away, it's not the most 
drastic thing. Mm -hmm. It it could have been like imagine if this was say during January. That would have been frightening nightmare fuel. But now it's not the same. But that doesn't mean it's not bad. But the fact that some judge again is the final arbiter of public health Mm -hmm. that scares me. And I I just I mean like I. Honestly, it doesn't surprise me the type of judge who made this ruling, not going to lie. <laughs> like, just based on who appointed them mm-hmm. and their age profile, they haven't – I mean, let's. I mean, we, we're all for young wonderkins, right? Mm-hmm. But having not spent enough, a lot of time on the bench and you make this ruling that's going to stick with you forever, I mean, it's yeah. a lifetime appointment. Yeah. Especially because this ruling is so huge. Yeah. Like, it affects so many people. I would much – I don't – Again, I can't make the judge. I may, can't make the courts work differently. But just the fact that it got to this judge, mm-hmm. and she was the one that got to make the decision, that just doesn't sit right with me. Like I would, I would rather have let the mandate expire naturally mm-hmm. instead of having a judge say, "Nope, unconstitutional." You're done. You're done. You're done. Yeah. But I have like two additional points. I remember when I was looking up this for the rundown, I read a CNN article and I just pulled it up because it literally stuck in my mind. So she's been serving as a federal judge in Florida for more than a year, but notably the Senate confirming her to a lifetime appointment in like the mid-November 2020 was after the presidential election and she had been given a not qualified rating by the American Bar Association based on her limited amount of experience post-law school. There you go. So it's like the concept that she has the power to make these decisions and the American Bar Association Association themselves are like, we don't know if she's ready or we don't know if she's the most qualified person in general. The fact that it got to her is wild. And another thing is just like being like, oh, um, I wonder what her what the vote was in the Senate. Does it say that? It does not say that. But I do really want to know. Yeah. I feel like you could. I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm looking it up. Alexa and Dallas keep talking. But okay. <laughs> another thing that I felt that I kind of had issue with was being like, it exceeded the authority of the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Their whole thing was is making sure that we're safe when it comes to things like that. So I don't understand why being like it seems out of their like realm of authority. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's just. It's just a bad call. Like, mm-hmm. like as much as we can talk about, like, why, like, the the main point is just this is not a good idea. And, and like I said before, like, I like not needing to wear my mask every single day. But the, the whole idea of wearing it on a plane, like, when I went away, I had an N95 mask, and that made me, me feel safer on the plane. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep wearing that N95 mask on the plane, like, when I go away in May, because I, I don't want to have to sit in the air and, and mm-hmm. breathe what everybody else is breathing like, for two and a half for hours. Ex- like, even going home to Boston, it's like a 30-minute flight or whatever. Shipping up to Boston. Shipping up to Boston. <laughs> even going home to Boston, it's a 30-minute flight. I could not imagine not wearing my mask for those, like, 30 minutes because, again, recycled air. You're also you're, packed on top of you're people. You're packed on top of people. Like, there's no way that you can social distance in a plane. It's a plane. Yeah. That's not how they're structured. Yeah. It just doesn't feel... Also, I have the numbers. Okay. 49 to 41. The fact, and this is what makes me so angry, the fact that this woman, Catherine Kimball Mazzell, barely had a closer vote than Ketanji Brown-Jackson makes mm-hmm. my blood boil when Ketanji Brown-Jackson was arguably one of the most qualified nominees for the SCOTUS in a generation. Mm-hmm. And it's How just, does she get on by? How does she get on by? How does she get on by when the American... She's really good. She's really good. <laughs> no, the American Bar Alexis, Association... Alexa lost it. The American Bar Association was literally like, she's not very good, so... I don't know how she got here. I- and to think, and the Senate was, 
not that i think it was what is the plus three republican tilt mm-hmm. so she had to pick up some democrats to get by listen i don't just alexa you good yeah i'm sorry that was really <laughs> funny anyways <laughs> no I, I think a lot of people are just they they kind of think with their hearts and not their head and they're just like i don't even know if hearts is that's is a the hot way to take say no but just like just like oh i don't want to wear the mask anymore so okay let's 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 get rid of it like I don't know. I I think no one really just just no one thought it through. Um, just to get back to what the American Bar Association said about herpes, I'm not gonna oh, let this go. We're, we're not gonna. They let that literally slide. said that when they gave her a not qualified rating, it was because of her lack of experience. And their ranking system is based on a nominee to the federal bench ordinarily should have at least 12 years experience in the practice of law. There you go. So, I'm not saying see. See, it's not a matter of is she a bad judge, it's just a matter of she hasn't been on the court long enough. She hasn't been in the field. And her the her judicial philosophy did not stand with precedent. Which mm-hmm. always surprises me when there's a whole judicial school of thought devoted to conservatism, but then they're like, mm, precedent? Nope. We're just gonna throw that away. It I I don't know I don't know what else to say. I think just it makes sense that this type of judge made this type of ruling. Mm-hmm. And it saddens me that the ruling's impact was felt so quickly. Mm-hmm. They couldn't even wait. They couldn't even wait until they landed at whatever destination that they were. Was it every, like, this is kind of like a dumb question. Was it every flight that, like, made this announcement? Because I saw a lot of videos from, like, the same flight. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one it was. I don't like. know if it was every. F- I can't say it was every flight like across the United States that went out. There was but a decent are, amount though. There's a decent amount of videos from like different flights, different airlines, even being like one is more than enough. Honestly, one is yeah, more than no. enough. One flight doing it is more than enough <clears> because again, I don't know what authority pilots feel like they have. I'm not. I can't talk bad about pilots. I can be a pilot, but to be like, I'm going to tell everybody that. You can just take your mask off now. That's like I don't I don't think they should have that authority or should have that power. I can understand them being excited about it mm-hmm. and wanting to like push past it, but it's just you have to you you have to calm down. Like mm-hmm. do your job first, land the plane and <laughs> yeah. then discuss it. Calm down. <laughs> like calm down. like make an announcement when the flight's over and be like, "Oh, and by the way, like this just happened because then people are getting off the plane and they don't have to worry yeah. about it mm-hmm. right then." Yep. That's a great solution. And as much as I want to keep talking about airplanes and masks and unqualified judges we have to move on to our report from again dallas jackson so again she's back back again back again (laughs) take it away dallas so recently this past weekend i went to see everything everywhere all at once and it is getting a lot of critical acclaim and i completely agree it is an amazing movie from the minds of directing duo daniel kwan and daniel shiner aka known as the daniels um, comes what many critics and movie lovers are calling the first great film of 2022, which is a very high praise because we were kind of in the midst of movies happening that got pushed back. So Everything Everywhere All at Once follows the story of Evelyn, played by Michelle Yeoh, an overworked laundromat owner who has just hit rock bottom in every sense of the term and has is dealing with navigating straining relationships with both her husband, Wayman, played by the Goonies legend, Ki-Hu Kwan, and her daughter, Joy, played by Stephanie Hsu. And when a dreaded meeting with an IRS agent, Jamie Lee Curtis, reveals the existence of a doomed multiverse that only Evelyn can save. And I understand the premise is a little bit wild, but it's genuinely an amazing movie. And it follows the perspective of first-generation immigrant trying to make sense of a new country, conforming to societal standards and traditions, and navigating an evolving world who has to save the multiverse and also learn how to do taxes. So I think this movie is just a bunch of different genres coming together, but it is genuinely 
a movie that I think everyone should see. And it's the newest addition to the A24 catalog, and it shocked the world and the box office with its success. After initial March release to only 38 theaters, it has expanded to 2,200 screens nationwide, and has taken message, board, message boards and critics by storm. This weekend, everywhere, Everything Everywhere earned $6.2 million at the bo- box office, tying it for the third biggest picture in the country right now. And has beat out the latest installments of Marvel films Morbius, which is a major feat for smaller market movies. The directors credit its success to the groundbreaking performances from Yao, Su, and Quan, and their portrayal of the imperfect, dysfunctional, and realistic Wang family that breathed, breathed a new kind of life into the movie. The Wang family dynamics and backgrounds is also a fairly unique subject matter. Michelle Yeoh even told the Daniels that it was brave of them to, create, to center an action movie around a Chinese family. Everything Everywhere also comes at a time and is a newest addition in the recent rise of Asian-focused films released in the last few years like Crazy Rich Asians, Shang-Chi, and Turning Red. In an interview with The Guardian, Quan, who is of Chinese descent, explains that this movie shows that Asian Americans, Asian American cinema can be anything it wants to be, and applauds his fellow Asian creatives for shattering long-standing stereotypes and depictions of Asians in film, and showing the world that there is, quote, so much more to us. This rapidly growing catalog has provided Quan and other creatives from diverse backgrounds with a greater sense of hope when it comes to the future of diversity in Hollywood. And on a smaller scale, both Evelyn and Waymond are incredibly untraditional heroes. In an interview on Jimmy Kimmel Live, Yo admitted that she was blown away by the fact that a, quote, ordinary aging immigrant woman was given the shot at being a hero. Yo further unpacked the pride she felt when portraying Evelyn and breaking from the mold previously established in society. We passed this mother, auntie, grandmother going to the supermarket or in Chinatown every day. And we would never notice them because they are fixated on just going home, cooking for their family and doing the things for their children or their husbands. So it was wonderful that I had the opportunity to give this woman a loud voice and let her be a superhero. Everything Everywhere has shattered ceilings in terms of subject matter, genre, reach, representation, and has redefined the ideal of who can be a hero. Again, I saw this movie this past weekend, and I may try to like explain it in the best way possible, but it is impossible to get the full scope of this movie with all its overlapping themes and symbolisms and moments. And beyond its pop culture references, its outrageous but amazing special effects and kung fu fight scenes, Everything Everywhere at its core is possibly the most moving film I've ever seen in my entire life. In the midst of its chaos, it is a grounded story about holding on to optimism in the face of overwhelming nihilism. And I think that's a message that the world today needs to see, especially when every day brings a new type of chaos and nothing seems to make sense. And everything is truly everywhere all at once, all the time. That is high praise from Miss Jackson. <laughs> I literally cried during this movie. It was so good. See, you know what's crazy is like when I saw the preview for this movie, I fully sat there and I was like, I'm not going to go see that. That looks stupid. It's like... But I totally trust your job. Like, this it's, made me think that I should go see it. It's like a lot of people, or from what I've read online from, like, people who haven't gone see, to see the movie but, like, reviewed the trailer, they were like, I don't understand the premise of what is happening at any point in time. And then when they go to see the movie, they're like, no. Like, none of your questions will be answered by the trailer, but you need to just go sit and experience this movie because everything comes together. It all makes sense. And it's just, like, it's a really interesting commentary on just how life is and how life is so crazy 
and then just finding like the meaningful bright moments. When you were talking about it, it reminded me of Scott Pilgrim versus the world. It's literally, it's <coughs> just like it. Oh, wow. I it's guess not that was just like it, but it's very, it's very similar energy. That's one of my favorite movies. My friend Brendan is basically Scott Pilgrim, but as a real person. <laughs> I told him, hey, you should watch Scott Pilgrim. He's like, nah, I don't know, man. I'm like, dude, the movie is literally made on a silver platter just for you. It w- it's and he comes to me, gives, he gives me a big hug. He's like, Danny, that movie spoke to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm i a big movie person, and I genuinely, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen in my entire life. It's I, I so amazing. You. I believe it's you. It's so amazing. It sounds cool, and I think it's great how it's... So it manages to be literally everything at once, mm-hmm. as it you said. It is, it is. It sounds like there's a lot going on. It's not, like, overwhelming. Like, I feel like there's so much going on. It's genuinely, you'll sit there and you'll be like, there's so much happening. But, but like, it's all, like, easy to it's follow. It's easy to fo- follow. It's really digestible. And then at the end, you're like, no, I understand why all of these things occurred. That's so crazy. I genuinely, like, I'm not even kidding. I sat in the movie theater and I was like, I'm not going to see this. It, it looks stupid. It's, and, it's, but I trust your judgment more than more <laughs> than the trailers, so mm-hmm. maybe I'll go. Don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge a movie by its trailer. Well, the trailers are there so you can judge the movie. That's why they're That's made. True. Which is why That's I was like. That's an commentary on, <laughs> on trailers. <laughs> the the right, trailers. So. But you can say the same thing about the covers of books. I the guess. covers of the book is, are there to make you buy it. That's the first thing you see. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's a good point, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. That's, that's a solid argument, but Danny. One yeah, thing, I know. <laughs> one thing that I think is really cool to see with this movie is it's super limited release. A24 is more like, from my understanding, kind of like an offbeat like distributor of movies or, and things like that. It's under, underground. It's a little underground. But um, to see that it went from such a small release and they were kind of like, we don't really know how this will be received. And then to see how popular it has gotten just by like word of mouth, because I guess like when the trailer launched, like not that many people were talking about it, but after it was released officially to theaters, people were like, you need to see this movie. Yeah. Like you literally Isn't need to see this movie. something about like a donut, like the, the song with like the, am I crazy? Wait, why did you gasp like that? Is that like a big thing? It's, it's not a big thing, but it's like an important like motif because it just looks so stupid in the trailer it's <laughs> it's not a donut it's a bagel but oh it's that's a bagel all i'm gonna say okay. that's all i'm gonna how say how dare you i could literally write a 20 page essay on the significance of that bagel because then do it it's bagel, next week <laughs> that bagel rocked my world all right it maybe, literally maybe my i'll world. go see the movie and i'll come back next week with a full report awesome i think you should because it's a great movie and uh speaking of movies we're trying to talk about two actors now in probably the most heated and longest longest Mm -hmm. longest winding lawsuit trial in hollywood right now between johnny depp and amber heard alexa break it down for us okay so three years after johnny depp filed a defamation lawsuit against his ex-wife amber heard the case went to trial monday in fairfax county circuit court in virginia for background depp and amber met on the set of the rome diary in 2009 got married in 2015 and immediately went into this like hateful separation for months with charges of bad behavior assessed by both sides in 2016 heard alleged that depp bruised her face after hurling a phone at her in their los angeles home depp denied the allegation and was not charged with any crime the couple settled their divorce months later and in December of 2018, Heard wrote an opinion piece for the Washington Post headline, quote, I spoke up against sexual violence and faced our culture's wrath. That has to change. In which she wrote, she became a public figure representing domestic abuse, and I felt the full force for, of our culture's wrath for women who speak out. Depp's name was never mentioned. 
The following year, he filed a 50 million defamation lawsuit against Heard, which also states that her allegations led to financial losses for him, including being dropped from future Pirates of the Caribbean movies uh, after he led the franchise for 15 years. In 2019, the actress tried to get the suit dismissed by stating that she watched her husband begin to abuse drugs and alcohol a year into their relationship. The court documents detail multiple instances of alleged abuse in which Heard claims Depp hit her, threw bottles, yelled at her, shoved her, pulled out chunks of her hair, and at one point strangled her. In response to the allegations, Depp's attorney, Adam Waldman, told CNN, a hoax confronted with the reality of evidence requires new lies to sustain itself. The motion to dismiss was denied. Heard filed a $100 million defamation countersuit against Depp in 2020, which is ongoing. And now I know this case has been kind of discussed for years now, but since we're trying to talk a little more about entertainment and this case is finally coming to trial, I wanted to just discuss it a little bit, see what your thoughts are. You talked about the <clears throat> the opening stages of this case, but recently there has been so much coming mm -hmm. out that goes against he what just, Amber Heard yeah, is saying. He just, he used literally yesterday or two days ago, I think he started talking about how he would never... He used he used as part of his like reasoning and like his excuse that he was abused as a child and he came out about uh, poor family life and domestic abuse when he was growing up and that's why he would never turn to domestic abuse in towards his yeah. wife. He said that he wanted to make the marriage work because his mother and father's marriage wasn't perfect, and you see this. It's been trending on Twitter basically all week. Justice for Donny, Johnny Depp. The hashtag. It's. It, I, it, the, he's winning the court of public opinion, mm -hmm. at least. I feel it's d definitely easy to see. He's been, he's been basically impeccable in court. If you watch the proceedings, he is stone faced, yeah. not even making any emo no emotion at all. I think the the one thing that stuck out to me was when they talked about the severed finger. Yeah, he gave one story, the same story multiple times. Amber Heard gave multiple different stories multiple different times, mm -hmm. and people have been pointing that out too. And then that sound came out. That's insane. That, that insane. is that's yeah. that's spooky. I, I wouldn't obviously not going to play it over the air, but just know that it does not shed good light on Amber mm -hmm. Heard at all. I feel like from early on, it was very easy to take Amber Heard's side, especially because there are reoccurring, reoccurring stories of like women being in abusive relationships. That's something that sadly is more accepted by society. But again, my something that really hurts my heart is to see that like Johnny Depp generally could be a victim or could be the victim. And it's seeming to be like there's a lot of evidence that he is a victim. Mm -hmm. But th the way this case may have skewed the way male victims of abuse are less likely to be believed or have a harder time getting justice or have a harder time like advocating for themselves. And if Amber Heard like did uh, paint herself as a victim, how did how would that affect like real uh, female victims of abuse yeah and i do think you're correct because that that is a big theme nowadays that it is the women who are the victims and that's why when this first became extremely public and it was on instagram twitter tiktok like before before a lot of the details were released and it was just amber heard saying you know i was sexually abused and and all of this it was easy to be like oh <clears throat> she's the victim here and you don't you don't think about okay well maybe we should maybe we should take a step back and we mm -hmm. should see what Johnny Depp has to say. No one thought of it that mm -hmm. way. Nobody so. wanted to accuse her of like being a liar. <clears throat> exactly. And in 2016, she taunted him to Which go to court. So 
I mean, uh, that, that just is, is that so is sick. grimy. That is sick. That is so grimy. And again, the court, the case is not settled. Mm-hmm. But just that speaks volumes to me. On character, like, like on who you are she, as a person. She's telling him, go to the courts because they won't believe you as a man. Like, yeah. And and that that does not excuse that the, in the majority of cases, it is the woman being the victim and the man is the abuser. But I think because of social media, people are so quick to cast judgments that, and again, it's not because the judgments are necessarily always incorrect, but because the we are just so cultured to you know ever since really 2017 with the me too movement it was like oh so much was coming out where it was just a very gross powerful man abusing a woman it was just rapid fire rapid fire rapid fire and the problem with that sort of news cycle is now when something like this happens where it's not that clear cut and there Mm -hmm. is evidence that it's the other way around Mm -hmm. people have to reverse their judgments i also feel like it's very like if you if you look at the timeline and you look at their stories Johnny Depp has been saying the same thing since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like every time he gets a step ahead, Amber Heard's like, oh, well, he also did this. And he also did this. So not not that it's like big things, but it was like, if you look at when she started saying all of these things, like I said before, she discussed how like he hit her and he pulled her hair and he tried to strangle her. It was always like, Johnny Depp would get a step ahead and she would say, oh, well, he he actually, he pulled my hair the other day. He pulled chunks of my hair out. And then it would take another step forward. Oh, well, he tried to strangle me. So it's almost like, I mean, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't, but why didn't she say it all at once? And it's, it's crazy. Some of the stories just coming out of this are just wa- baffling to me. Mm-hmm. Not baffling in like, I don't believe them, but baffling in like, how could this ever happen? Like he mentioned that Amber Heard was high on her wedding day, on their wedding day, or... Some like they hurt her. She uh, grow. I don't even want to say it. Like you guys know what I'm talking about, right? No. No. Okay. And if we're gonna be honest. Okay. No. Well, just my advice if you're listening, Google the details of this case because some of the actions alleged by both sides are not your typical domestic mm-hmm. abuse. They're almost they're like gross. They're gross. Like disgust. Like actually disgusting. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of things that we. A lot of people are talking about the aspects of, like, physical abuse, but, again, I think there's a lot of, like, emotional and psychological abuse. Yes. The psychological abuse is a big thing. It's, like, scary to hear his testimony about, or hear the testimonies about, like, them going to, like, couples therapy and things like that. And, like, there's a report, allegedly, from the couples therapist being, like, seeing their dynamic, I can see that Johnny Depp has no, like, space to speak often. Mm -hmm. And he often is, like, being, like, talked over. And it's very much, like, Amber being, like, this, 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 you did this, 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 this. And he just has to sit there and be like, because he doesn't want to, according to the report, he doesn't want to like make a bigger fight out of it. And yeah. he, he like talked about how he wanted to stay because he, again, like you said earlier, he wanted to stay because he wanted to try to make it, make it work. And that's a sad way to like think about a relationship. Like if you don't feel safe or like heard, you shouldn't try to, if it gets to a certain point, like you yeah. shouldn't feel like you have to stay. Yeah, and he talked about her demeaning name-calling, her, Mm -hmm. this really stuck out for me, need for violence, like a psychological need for violence. He said it could begin with a slap, it can begin with a shove, it could begin with throwing a TV remote, it could be throwing a glass of wine, but it was just constant, end quote. That is not just physical, just like living in fear. Mm -hmm. That's the psychological aspect that Johnny Depp is alleging 
Amber Heard did to him. And it literally did ruin his life. I mean, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, it, when I think of Johnny Depp, that's what I... I mean, he's got tons of amazing mm-hmm. roles, but when I think of Johnny Depp, that's what I think of. Mm-hmm. I think of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. The, the Rob's always gone. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he was pulled from basically his life's work. Like, I, he's been doing this for years. That's That was so... I love those movies. Like this was actually really sad for me. Selfishly, I'm gonna say that. That's, That's pretty selfish. I was I was like really upset when that <laughs> happened. So I'm just kinda hoping that maybe after this is all over, depending on the outcome, like I would love for him to get back into doing what he loves to mm-hmm. do and getting more more jobs, more acting jobs. In in that like same light, like Amber Heard, I think believe she's still gonna be in the next aquaman movie yeah and she's she still slated Mara. yeah yeah which is like in light of what is coming out and what has come out before in the past like the severed finger thing i feel like isn't new news or newer information i think i've heard like heard about it in the past but the fact that like there's that is like alleged at all and she still has the ability to hold a job in hollywood yeah even though like johnny depp can't can't but see it's it's again we talk about how it's usually the man abusing mm-hmm. the woman. How maybe, you know, I think you hear about what's happening now and how it's not so clear cut. It's, mm-hmm. There's a murky area, for lack of a better term, how fast did society cast judgments? That's true. And let me be very clear. Nine times out of ten, it's probably the right judgment to make, mm-hmm. con- considering how widespread it's. we found out it is. Yeah. But it's just unfortunate when something like this does happen. Mm-hmm. And the numbers on false reports are around 10% for every crime across the board, whether someone stole your bike or a false accusation of something like rape. Mm-hmm. So nine out of 10 times. It really happened. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I definitely do think there's a lot of truth to this, but I also think there's a lot that hasn't come out. And there's yeah. a lot of, a lot of like, like you said, like that murky area that like it needs to be discovered. And also this one, I wanted to bring this up because I literally just saw it this morning. I know we have to move on um, to our next story, but I just saw it this morning uh, that Amber Heard for the last week while they're doing all of these trials has been copying all of Johnny Depp's outfits, like their his court outfits. I don't know if you saw that. That's, I don't Did know. You that's see something that? out of a horror movie. No, that's... there's proof. Like he wore like a gray suit no, Monday, I believe you. I'm just saying and the next scary. day she wore a gray suit. And he had like Tuesday, he had like the Gucci B pin on his tie. The next day, she wore a suit and tie, and she had the Gucci B pin, that's, right? Like that again. You can't that's, even, that's just odd. That's and just he odd was behavior. getting a lot of praise the other day for pulling his hair back to look clean in court. He had his hair in a ponytail, and he got a lot of praise for it. And the next day, she showed up to court with her hair in a ponytail. You can Google, like it sounds so far fetched and so crazy, but it's so real. Like I was looking at the pictures this morning. I, I believe know. you. That's that's frightening. That, it's terrifying. You think and you're going crazy again. That's like <laughs> honestly, a, that's probably a psychological thing. Of like, try, like psychological manipulation of some sort. Yeah, she's she's completely mirroring mm-hmm. everything that he's done in trial in the last week. Yeah, it's it's a very tense situation, but we're gonna have to move on, as Alexis said. And going, it's kind of a not a terrible transition, given that the na- the very dire nature of the case. You know, April is sexual assault awareness month and while this didn't involve sexual assault it involved you know a tense dysfunctional relationship i spoke to christine emba yesterday she's an opinion columnist and editor for the washington post her writing focuses on ideas and society generally and we discussed an essay she recently guest wrote for the new york times it was called 
straight people need better rules for sex, which is an adaptation of an essay she of a book she wrote previously about relationships and how it's some people feel that it's failing. And she argues for a change towards how we see romantic relations today. And I think without further ado, we need to just get right into the conversation. Here's what Christine Emba had to say to me. I'm Danny DiCrescenzo, joined by Christine Emba, an opinion columnist and editor for The Washington Post, whose writing focuses on ideas and society. Today, we'll be discussing the essay she guest wrote for The New York Times, titled Straight People Need Better Rules for Sex, in which she argues for a change in approach towards intimacy. Ms. Emba, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. And before we get into the nitty gritty of your essay, I feel like it's important to note to our listeners that your essay in the Times is adapted from the one you previously wrote titled Rethinking Sex, a Provocation. What inspired you to write the original and then later adapt it? Well, so Rethinking Sex, a Provocation is actually a full length book um, published by Penguin Press and it came out last month. Um, and I was pushed to write that book or well, inspired to write that book, I would say, uh, in the post Me Too moment when, you know, it seemed like we were realizing that the sexual revolution and the feminist movements hadn't fixed all of the problems that we thought they had. There were still these Harvey Weinsteins, these Aziz Ansaris, et cetera. And more than that, there were questions being raised today that were sort of less clear and less solvable than even the high profile Me Too cases. There was sex that was consensual ostensibly, but still bad, still you know depressing, sad, or even traumatic. And it made me wonder, what's going on here? What is going on in our sexual culture that so many people can relate to stories like Cat Person or Aziz Ansari and Babe.net and that whole debacle? It suggested to me that maybe there was something that we had misunderstood about the role that consent plays in perfecting sex or making a sexual encounter good. And maybe there were misapprehensions or false assumptions that we had about sex and the role it played in our lives and society that we should be discussing aloud. Um, I had a lot of conversations just with friends about this, about their experiences, about my own experience and, you know, how we wanted it to be better. So what does better look like? That, that was a question I was trying to push for in this book. And you dive full steam ahead into that question. And the opening of the essay in the Times cites statistics about negative attitudes towards relationships among single adults. And you specifically use the term heteropessimism. Can you elaborate on that word and why you feel it's so pervasive in our society? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so heteropessimism is a word that was coined by the writer Asa Saracen in this journal called The New Inquiry. And she used to, to describe a mode of feeling that's usually expressed in the form of regret or embarrassment or hopelessness about the straight experience, uh, often by women. You know, the idea of sort of promoting the idea of, you know, banning all men or men are trash or, you know, gosh, like dating sucks so much. I wish I was just a lesbian. Like, I wish I could not be straight and not have to deal with this. And, you know, we use it, she says, kind of in a jokey way. Um, but it's almost an anesthetic posture. It's one that people sort of adopt in order to fully feel, or rather to avoid fully feeling a sense of real sorrow or disappointment in their, their lack of control and their repeated disappointment uh, in their sexual and romantic encounters 
or from simply acknowledging that the sexual culture feels kind of awful to them and it's not suited to their happiness. And I, I wanted to use it because I feel like that is a very sort of pervasive feeling and mindset and shows up in so many jokes and conversations. But this was the first time that I had seen someone put a name to this phenomenon that really made sense. And so many people who read the book and read this excerpt were like, oh, that's that's what that is. <laughs> I have been doing that. Um, and it promoted a lot of like self-recognition. Yeah. And trust me, some girls I've talked to, they've been feeling that feeling. They just didn't have the name for it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And going back to what you were saying earlier about something like consent, that's a concept that's preached ad nauseum with regards to sexual experiences, romantic experiences. But you and several other commentators that I've been following lately are saying that we need something more. And you specifically say we need something more akin to a standard of norms. And why is consent not enough? Yeah, great question. And I mean, so much of Rethinking Sex, the book is concerned with just that. You know, first of all, we have to say that consent is incredibly important as a baseline. It is a non-negotiable standard. And it took us even a long time to just get to the point where we could say you have to get consent. Uh, the feminist movement and the sexual revolution did a lot for that. But consent is also a floor. You know, it's an it's a legal sort of ruling to define which sex is allowed and which sex is not allowed. That is to say, you know, maybe criminal, perhaps. And it's a floor, but it was never meant to be the ceiling. Presumably, most of us want more from sex than it isn't actively a crime. <laughs> um, so if that's the case, then we need to hold ourselves to a higher standard than just consent. Instead of just asking what we are allowed to do, we should all be asking what we should do, what is actually moral or ethical or, in fact, good to do. And that's how we then are able to seek out sex that's, again, not just allowed or not strictly rape, but actually good for us and our partners. Those are certainly good questions that people should be asking here at the end of the piece, you write, quote, an unrestrained sexual culture hasn't necessarily led to better sex for all or better relationships. In many cases, it has inspired numbness, callousness, hurting others, and being hurt. What are specific antidotes to this problem with relation to what you were just saying about consent being more of the floor instead of the ceiling? Yeah, I mean, in that quote, I, I think I was referencing a lot of, you know, a lot of different things. There's this idea that if we are sort of more free about sex, if we are more sex positive in sort of the blandest sense, if we just allow more things, then we will be happier in our sex lives. But, you know, throughout this column in particular, I point out that many people need boundaries to almost know what they're supposed to do um, to feel comfortable in their sexual encounters, to know that they won't encounter some sort of crazy surprise that they don't know how to deal with. Um, one of the examples I talk about in the book that didn't quite make it into the pages of the New York Times, probably for the best, is a woman who, you know, told me about having an encounter with this guy she really liked and unexpectedly this sort of extreme act occurs. And she was kind of like, uh, uh, this was not within my set. I didn't think this was a normal thing that was going to happen, but it happened. And I don't like I didn't know how to feel about it. I guess I consented because I don't know, I did, but I didn't feel good about this. And the idea that having stronger norms and boundaries about what is good and what can, one can expect, um, I think would, would help make sex seem a less fraught proposition for a lot of people. 
But how do you set up those boundaries? So in the book, I talk about consent as a floor, and I suggest a higher standard of ethics, which I define here as willing the good of the other, which is actually from Aristotle um, via Thomas Aquinas. And it was his definition of love, in fact, not just romantic love, but love in sort of a greater sense. And it was the idea that you would simply care as much about the good of the other person in your encounter as you would care about your own and that you try and seek out what that good would be and sort of actuate it together. Um, and I think that's asking more from us in a sexual encounter. I think that does sort of raise boundaries. There are some things then that you could be doing, but you know, would not be willing the other person's good. And so you, you shouldn't do them. Um, and of course you'll have missteps and we can't perfectly know the other person's good. And we also then are implicated in figuring out what the good means, what good sex looks like, what a good relationship looks like. But even just asking that question and having that higher standard or that boundary for ourselves when we think about entering into an encounter versus not seems so many steps ahead from you know where we are now, where it's as long as I get the consent, then I can get the sex from somebody else. Oh, absolutely. And as someone who has read The Summer, I am a sucker for anything Thomas <laughs> And with your argument in mind, Ms. Emma, my last question for you is, what would you say is the best piece of advice, sexual, relationship-oriented, that you could give to people around my age, college students? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and it's, it's so broad, actually. <laughs> I think that, you know, one of, the, one of the points that I try to make in Rethinking Sex, and in fact, why it's called Rethinking Sex, is that I believe we don't spend enough time actually thinking about what sex is, what it means to us, what we want from our sexual encounters and relationships going forward. And I think one thing to ask that people should start asking a lot earlier is, okay, what, what am I looking for here? If I'm looking for love or a connection or a sustainable relationship, are the actions that I'm doing actually bringing me closer to that? And are there beliefs that I've imbibed, whether from media, from outside culture that are sort of shaping my worldview that I don't actually agree with? You know, one of the questions I pose in Rethinking Sex is, why do we want what we want? And what would we want if we had the choice? And I think being really aware of the fact that we may not, we may have made choices or maybe acting out of some sort of subconscious or you know media promoted or culturally promoted ideal that's actually in conflict with what we really truly desire and think would be helpful for our flourishing causes a lot of hurt and confusion so it's better to ask yourself that question early on and figure that out and then you can go from there certainly valuable advice and before i let you go where can our listeners find your work um, so I write at the Washington Post, um, and you can find me in the opinion pages there. But I'm also on Twitter at Christine Emba, so just my first and last name, and Instagram under the same handle. All right, sounds good. And once again, that was Christine Emba, an opinion columnist and editor for the Washington Post, whose writing focuses on ideas and society. We discussed the essay she guest wrote for the New York Times titled Straight People Need Better Rules for Sex, in which she argues for a change in approach towards intimacy. Ms. Emba, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. You're listening to the Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call only on 88.7 FM Radio Hofstra University. All thoughts and opinions stated here on the Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call 
do not reflect the views of 88.7 FM WRHU and its management, Hofstra University, as well as its board of trustees. All contrasting views can be sent to programming at WRHU.org or to 111 Hofstra University, Hempstead, New York, 11549. Enjoying the show? Make sure to tune in every weekday from 8 to 9 a.m. for some more Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call. Only on 88.7 FM Radio Hofstra University. Hofstra's Morning Wake Up Call. Morning Wake Up Call. And we are back here on the Morning Wake Up Call. Thank you again <coughs> to Christine Emba from the Washington Post for that insightful interview about her work. But now we are moving on to our final story, and Alexa is just so excited. Oh, I'm so <laughs> excited about this. Yes. So there's this app called Be Real. And here's how it works. Once a day, you get a notification that tells you it's time to do your be real and you have exactly two minutes to do it. And the kicker is that your friends get the same notification at around the same time. And you're all supposed to take a photo of what you're up to at the moment. And the app claims to offer, quote, a new and unique way to discover who your friends really are in their daily life. And it's catching on. Downloads skyrocketed by 315 percent in 2022. So. I know we have a Be Real fan among us, I am, I'm Alexa. I'm a huge fan of Be Real. So, Alexa, talk to us about it. I have it. completely let Be Real run my life for the last week and a half since I've downloaded it. And at first, I was like, like okay, because my friend had it downloaded. And she was like, you got to download this app. It's great. I was like, nah, that's so weird. Like, I don't need people knowing what I'm doing. No, it was a good decision. Like, I'm addicted to it because it takes a picture from, like, your front camera and your back camera. So you get pictures of both sides and it takes... Like everybody does the gets the same thing at the same time, so everyone posts all at once. And if you're late, it says that you're late. So like, I don't know if that makes sense, but if you don't post in the two minute time slot that you get, it'll say like, oh, like my mine's like Lexmax or something. And it's like oh, Lexmax posted thirty minutes late, and it it's so upsetting when you're late because it's oh, like no like okay i won't lie it's yesterday a tragedy yesterday <laughs> when i when the b-roll went off i was in the doctor's office and it, there was no service and it threw off my entire day because oh, i no. i got the notification my pearls i got the notification that it was time to post my b-roll and i tried so hard to get it on time but the service did not allow me to post it when i wanted to post it so it came out 30 minutes late Threw off my entire day. I was very upset. Tragedy. <laughs> I mean, I guess like I haven't used Be Real. I have heard about it. Like conceptually, it sounds pretty cool, and I don't know. It just it does seem more like a game, which I think has its appeals in comparison to like Instagram or Snapchat. But I feel like it'll have its own something that I'm concerned about is its own unique brand of like user burnout because like again, you having a two. Like you were literally talking about how like it threw off your day because you were late for I it. I was so upset. Like not to not to overanalyze, <laughs> but like, dude, what? <laughs> what do you mean? But I'm again, very, very again, upset. if it's like a daily thing, I can see it being fun. But I know for me personally, there'll be a point where I'm just like, <sighs> now I gotta go do my be real. <laughs> I guess, but I think the thing about it that makes it so fun every time is that like. Like once you do, like I don't sit, I don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, let me scroll through Be Real because I have no need to because mm -hmm. I saw everybody's posts at the same time yesterday. So it's not something that I spend a lot of time on. It's just like, like a fun little part of my day where I get to like post a goofy picture. And then they have this feature where you can like react to people's posts mm -hmm. with like a picture of your face. And it's like like in the comment section and it's literally just like a reaction picture of you that you can send in. Like it's just like stu like it's a stupid app, but it's so funny and I enjoy it so much. Mm -hmm. Well, 
I've never heard of this <laughs> at all. I've never heard of this app until I researched for this story. I have no idea what it looks like, how it works, besides the basic description. And I can show you. I have it on my phone. Uh, I didn't ask. Who <laughs> 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 asked? <laughs> all right, Danny. All I right, see how I do not is. mean to be so curt, but um, I, I, I do appreciate how it's like a genuine solution. Like, it's not somebody's highlight reel, but A, I'm way too busy for this. And B, I do not have a big enough circle of friends for this to be fun. Because I feel like this is a fundamentally cooperative exercise. Mm-hmm. Like, you post it, and then all your friends post it. You're like, oh, my God, Alexa's at the dentist. And <laughs> Dallas is at the student center. Like, that's cool. But I don't have enough friends for that to actually make an impact for me. It does feel like a very, like, team-oriented activity, which is, like, cool. has its appeal. Mm-hmm. But again, like, I don't know. It does seem to be, like, less stressful than, like, Instagram and Snapchat. Because I can admit, like... My Instagram, especially, is, like, highly curated. And, like, each post I have spent, like, at least 30 minutes criticizing every single angle of every single thing. Which is, like, it's on brand of anxiety. Yeah. Whatever. But I do appreciate that it's more like, oh, just be, like, honest about what you're doing. There's, like, no pressure. That's the Mm -hmm. thing that I like so much about the app is it's just, like, a fun way to stay connected with your Mm -hmm. friends. Like, for example, like, we know I just joined a sorority and it's, like, everyone in this not everyone the majority of the girls in the sorority downloaded this app and it was like a good way for me to get to know them as Mm -hmm. a new member like meeting my new friends that i was going to be spending a lot of time with it's it's a good way to like get to get to know them like become friends with them like i said you can react to their posts so it's like reacting to their posts it like makes like it's like a stupid connection you're not discussing what they posted but it's like oh like this person is comfortable enough with me to Mm -hmm. you know comment on like what i'm doing and it's it's just a cute thing, and it's, like, a good way to stay connected. Like, I have family. Uh, my cousin lives in Alabama, and her and I have always been very close. She downloaded it, and then I see, like, what she's doing. And, like, that to me is, is like, a it's, like, a fun little thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's cute. Yeah. Very cute. Very cute. 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 cute, 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 why, cute. Did, why did you say it like that? Very cute. <laughs> very cute. Cute. <laughs> cute. <laughs> oh, my God. So cute. But, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's. I think that the thing you do with your sorority friends, that's great. I think that actually unlocks the full potential of this app of what it claims to do because mm-hmm. it it is a team exercise as you said dallas so yeah i think that's cool yeah. i just don't think i would ever download it. yeah i don't know i feel like we should do wrhu be real W-R-H-U, i feel real? like i feel like everybody in wrhu like we should send out like a mass email and be like everybody download this app right let's, now. Do it let's, right now. let's be friends <laughs> like like Kumbaya. i want i want like i want like the managers on this too like i want everybody you want to see <laughs> <laughs> like everyone all at once what bruce is up to <laughs> i also like that it like isn't the same time every day mm-hmm. like like it's not like oh noon every single day is gonna be this this because you're not expecting it which makes mm-hmm. it a little bit more real surprise yeah like yesterday it went off at like 5 30 and the day before it went off at almost midnight it was like 11 30 at night and everyone was like where was there was no b-reel today where's the b-reel and then it popped up so I don't know. It's like you're not expecting it. It's kind of mm-hmm. it's kind of fun that way. All right. Well, if you want to get be real, I'm an advocate. Do she, it. She's an advocate. <laughs> be real. But uh, that's going to do it for our show, guys. What's the rest of your week looking like, really quick, before we get out of here? Um, I have. Oh, I have uh, my formal tomorrow. I get ah, to get all dressed ooh. up. Exciting! 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 Yes, very excited. I'm, uh, I'm ready. I uh. Just have we have SGA. Tonight. We do have SGA tonight. And uh just chill weekend. Yeah. Yeah, pretty yeah, relaxed. Chill weekend. I have a dinosaur themed party on Saturday. Ooh, nice. I love dinosaurs. I also love dinosaurs. What's your favorite dinosaur? T-re- it's the T Lex. 
T-Lex. Oh my gosh. Wait, can that be my new nickname? That was so fun. T-Lex. T-Lex. Anyway. Danny Zinger. Danny Zinger. Danny Zinger. Danny Zinger. And we'll end on a Danny Zinger. But um, from me, Alexa, and Dallas, have a great rest of your Thursday. And don't forget to listen to the Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call tomorrow on Friday for myself, Rachel, and Luke. Have a good rest of your day and stay well.